John. Um, I think you were the appropriate person to have read this morning. Uh, it seemed like it was uh, your passage, the revelation given to John. So uh, I like what you did there, Kylie. I, I was talking to my neighbour during the week. We just happened to bump into each other out the front of our house as we bump into so many people out the front of our house as the kids are scooting and things like that. And uh, she was telling me that normally she doesn't stay up on Christmas, on New Year's Eve. But this year she was saying she wants to stay up and make sure that 2020 leaves. And uh, a lot of people are feeling like that at the moment. They're feeling pretty rattled. Uh, I think what we thought at the start of the year would be a year just like normal um, has turned out not to be the case. And a lot of people are rocked by that. We're not used to uh, unpredictability and things that are unforeseen. We have this very kind of narrow sense of this is the way the world is and this is the way it will always be. And this year has really rocked that. And she was kind of talking about some of the events in her life as well as the world that were um, knocking her off kilter. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good uh, description for this year. We're off kilter as a world. That's why um, before we get into the image of the future in Revelation, we, we need to take note of the most significant thing in this book. And it's this, that Jesus stands amongst his churches. John has this revelation of Jesus standing amongst his churches. He hears him speak. He, he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mysteries of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I love this word of encouragement. It's a word of encouragement to us. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I come before all things and I come after. I'm the eternally living, eternally present, renewing, powerful king. I hold all authority in heaven and earth. And I stand amongst my churches and know what is going on. I'm here. Here. Um, at the start of the service, Kylie, you talked about God's presence amongst us. And John has this revelation of how Jesus stands amongst his churches. It's not just this abstract, oh, isn't it nice to think that God's among us kind of thing. It's Jesus stands before the throne of God, in, in heaven, amongst his churches. His life and his authority and his presence is among his people. It's right now, amongst us, not just as individuals. We do have uh, this personal relationship with God through the spirit that he's put in our heart. But corporately, as a church, Jesus stands amongst us, leading and empowering people. We are his body his people present in this broken world to be witnesses, to continue on his work, to be his ambassadors. This, uh, this group of random, seemingly random people here are called 
by Jesus and have a communal life before him. And so Jesus stands amongst us. No matter what else is going on in the world, Jesus is present and he is leading us and he is speaking to us. I'd, uh, I'm really encouraged by that. I hope you are too. What we do together matters to God. Who we are as we gather together in this place matters to Jesus. He stands amongst us. So as I start my message this morning, I'm just to pray and acknowledge and ask for Jesus to speak. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the eternal king. You are the risen one. You were dead and now you're alive. Lord, we thank you for your word and your presence. We thank you for your living word that is active today. Lord, we thank you for your empowerment and your leadership, that you speak to your churches, that you know what is going on, that you lead us. And I pray that as we gather to, together this morning, we'd have a real um, awareness of your presence and of your leading. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would point us um, in the direction of not being afraid, but of being clear of who we are in you and what you are doing right at this moment. So we ask that we'd be able to listen this morning and we uh, commit to responding to you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for the word cloud this morning. Uh, it, was, uh, it was really good. Some of the words that came up were really joyful words, uh, encouraging words, that God is king, uh, that there is joy and hope. But some of the words that came up were around confusion and worry and some of these really... Um, dramatic images that are in Revelation. And there's a, there's a real confusion and a real grappling that happens with the book of Revelation. Often in churches, uh, Revelation isn't preached very much because it's a difficult book. And the, the great irony with the book of Revelation is that its name is Revelation. It means to be encouraging and clear, to make things clear and encourage us and that's what the book does but um, to get our heads around how it does that we need to understand a few things first thing revelation aims to give us the big picture it's not trying to get into the details Um, it was written as an encouragement to a specific people Um, john wrote to seven churches in asia minor so kind of around the Turkey area. Um, it was at the end of the first century, and it was a t- at a time when they were undergoing persecution um, from the Roman Empire. Many uh, churches were, if not um, suffering um, the threat of execution, were, were um, suffering um, persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. And... Um, What happens in this book is Jesus commands John to write a letter to those churches at those times and encourage them by peeling back a view of history from 
kind of stepping right back to say, this is the grand story of God. From beginning to end, this is what God is doing. And this is your place within it. And be encouraged. That's what Revelation is meant to do. It's meant to be this clear, big picture encouragement for the church. That's why we read these words. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Do you hear it? Is right now, who was at the beginning and is to come at the end. The one who oversees the grand story of God. Grace and peace to you. And from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the one who helps us to understand, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. So, Revelation is written to be this clear encouragement, speaking into the circumstances, but throwing back the curtains on the big story of God, making it clear what he has done and what he is doing and our place within that. That's what Revelation is supposed to do. That's what we're going to look at over this series. We often struggle to do that. And there's probably two reasons why we struggle to do that. The first is that... um, Serious biblical scholars don't have a lot of imagination. Uh, We come to the book of Revelation and we often don't understand what to do with story and with metaphor. Um, What the parables of Jesus are to theology and ethics, Revelation is to history. Does that make sense? You want me to say that again? What the parables of Jesus are to theology and ethics, they tell a story and invite us to respond without going through dot point by dot point and saying, here's the theology. They say, God is like this. That's what Revelation does to history. It says, history is like this. It uses imagery. It's like good art or good science fiction. Uh, It uses metaphor and image to communicate a truth more profound than it could if it tried to just go through and describe the events. And the kind of people who are interested in biblical scholarship really struggle with that. They're not good with ambiguity and art and metaphor and creativity, but that is what Revelation is. It kind of personifies a lot of the realities in life so, so that we see behind the curtain, so that we can um, describe them for what they truly are. So, in the book of Revelation, King Herod is not described as King Herod. He's described as a dragon who is trying to devour the infant Jesus before his birth. So, he's kind of mixed up with the power of Rome and with the power of forces against the will of God and all of these things get mixed together in this metaphor of a dragon that's actually talking about King Herod. Uh, Secondly, the second reason why Revelation is really difficult to understand is because it messes with time in a way that Christopher Nolan would be really proud of. Um, Much like a great modern movie where for the first half an hour you've got no idea what order events are happening in or who's who or why things are happening the way they are, that's what Revelation does with time. We're used to looking at time like this, where it's a series of events 
in order. And what Revelation does is it turns time like that. So you're looking through time and everything becomes flattened. So you can't tell which comes first or what comes after. It's actually, um, you don't know whether you're looking at the story of Exodus or the story of Jesus or the story of the early church or the future of the church. All of these allusions to the Old Testament that Kylie mentioned, 500 of them, are in the book of Revelation along with this description of the future that's coming and the present. Remember those words of Jesus, who is and was and is to come. Revelation takes all those images and puts them together so that it can see that those stories are linked. It's really intentional. A lot of people have tied themselves in knots trying to, like, pick apart all the different elements of Revelation and make a chronology and all of these things. It's not what the book is trying to do. The point that the book is trying to make is that what happened to Israel under Pharaoh, what happened in uh, Judea when Jesus arrived, in the ministry of Jesus, what happened in his life, is the same thing that was happening to the church in John's day and is the thing that happened to us now that all of these stories are linked together and we're all part of that story. And in all of those places, it looked like evil was conquering, but in fact, God was at work overthrowing the power of evil. So John's encouragement to the churches of his day is just as Jesus faithfully followed God and God vindicated him and raised him from the dead, just as Israel looked like they were going to be defeated by Egypt and God was at work and vindicated them, so God is doing the same to you and so he's doing the same to us. We do not need to be afraid. There is a hope and there is a future and there's a day in which God will overcome once and for all. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm before all things and I endure after all things. I am the eternally living, eternally present, renewing, powerful king who holds all authority, and I stand amongst my churches. That's the encouragement of Revelation. It's fantastic. One of the, uh, one of the things that strikes me is we stand in this line as well. The story of God that began right at the beginning that went through Israel, that went through Jesus, went, went through the early church, we're still a part of that story. Jesus still stands amongst us, is still at work. Even when things look like evil is vic- being victorious, we actually know that under the surface, God is redeeming. And there's a great reversal that will happen, where evil will suddenly... It looks like it's powerful, but its power will be shown for what it is. And the church looks like it's defeated. Its power will be shown for what it is, and Jesus will vindicate. We can be confident of that. The, The message of Revelation is, yes, you can expect persecution in this world, because Jesus has not yet finally established his authority. But you can expect God to be at work, for him to take those small things those faithful witnesses, and turn them into things of great power for his kingdom. 
We don't need to be discouraged. Don't be afraid. We just simply need to be faithful. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I love that title, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So much of Revelation is in worship. So many of our songs are drawn from the book of Revelation. We, we don't often preach through the book of Revelation, but we sing through it in a lot of our songs because there's so much worship and so much outpouring of thankfulness for who God is. I love this picture of Jesus, the faithful king who has loved us and freed us. I love that we just shared in communion. Like, sometimes we treat the book of Revelation like Revelation is uh, separate from the Gospels, is separate from the story of the Bible that's gone before. No, it's not separate. The communion, the death of Jesus is a part of Revelation. It's actually the event that frees us from the power of evil, the event that defeats evil. It's it's the center point from which every other story hinges. Um, and Jesus talks about us, his people. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Um, I spoke about this image of being a kingdom of priests last week, actually, as we were praying this idea of being a priest that means we represent all creation. We represent the praises of creation and bring worship to God on behalf of the created world. That that is our priestly role, is to come before our Father, worship Him and bring the prayers of the whole of creation to Him. And then the kingdom aspect, that, that we are under the authority of the great King, that we carry his authority and we are ambassadors for Jesus, that he has given us this identity to be his image bearers on the world, to bring God's kingdom and his justice to fruition on this world. I love those twin aspects, that really passive element of um, coming before the Father and simply um, worshipping him and that really active aspect of going out into the world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Revelation kind of returns to this imagery and says, this is who you are. In the midst of struggle, worship God. In the midst of struggle, live out his kingdom. Be faithful. Be a kingdom of priests. That's who we are. We, um, we play our part. That's part of the message of Revelation as well. Uh, so often we have this idea that the book is only relevant to those people who will be there at the end of time when Jesus comes back. Strange idea of this book, but um, modern revelation, ironically, have tended to put ourselves at the centre of it. <laughs> it's a very modern mindset to have that everything is about us. 
So Revelation is, wasn't written to anybody in the last 2,000 years. It's actually been written to us to give us a description of what the return of Jesus will be like when he returns. And it's always, now is the time when it actually holds. It didn't have any value to anybody leading up till now, but God just chucked in there to spoil the end. <laughs> no, that's not what Revelation is. Revelation is um, describing how God's people live in this time between the resurrection of Jesus and his return. Uh, I love um, the fact that this is a story that we are continuing now. Uh, N.T. Wright, I think I'm going to butcher his quote, but he says that uh, creation is a seven-act play and we're in Act 6. We're playing our part. We know how it's going to end creatively, living out the story and bringing it to completion. We are called to live out the kingdom, to faithfully follow Jesus, to look to that day when he comes and then when he returns, it will be revealed this great story that we've played our part in. It's not an easy story at times, but it's a story where God is at work and he'll bring all the threads together. I love that. At times... It can be hard, but we're called to follow the way of Jesus, this self-sacrificial love and obedience that in the end will be victorious. Um, the book goes on to say, um, so what happens with Revelation often is there's letters at the start to each of the seven churches. Jesus says to John, write these letters to this church, write this to this church. And we often divorce that from the rest of Revelation um, but these letters are the key, actually. It is Jesus saying, this is what's going on, and here's the image if you look at it from the history. And so, let me read one of the letters. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your pro- poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. It doesn't muck around with its language. It's not particularly PC, the book of Revelation. It's straight to the point. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful. This is the encouragement. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I'll give you your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The message to the church of Myrna is, yes, a hard time is coming, but be faithful and you will overcome. Follow the example of Jesus. Trust me, even when persecution comes, be faithful, follow me, and I will overcome and give you life. I think we all need to be reminded of that message at times. It's really easy to get frustrated or feel like we're overwhelmed by what's going on. But the message of Jesus to us is, hang in there, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will overcome and give you life. That's Jesus standing amongst his church and speaking into history, reminding us of the big story and our place in it. That just as Jesus was faithful and overcame, we're called to do the same. Not quite in the same way as Jesus. 
He is the one who has set all of this in motion. He is the King of Kings and we are his people. So we're called to follow his example. Um, So, to finish up, the question that kind of comes to my mind is, what is the Spirit of Jesus saying to us today? Um, That's not a theoretical question. Jesus does stand amongst his church. He does know what's going on. His Spirit is speaking. He has something today to say. Job as a church is to listen to Jesus. Pretty much the future of this church hangs on this question. Will we listen to Jesus and be obedient to what he says? The future of the church always hangs on that question. Will we listen to Jesus and will we be obedient to what he's saying? That's all we need to do as his people. Listen to him, follow him. That's how we live as faithful followers of Jesus. Um, Just to be clear, it's not listen to me and follow me. It's listen to Jesus and follow him. I like to think that I speak with someone as someone who has wisdom and insight, but I also know that there are things I don't know that Jesus wants to speak to us about. There are things of the Spirit that are hidden from me that Jesus is wanting us to discover. So hopefully I can point the way a bit, but there are places that I don't know about where Jesus wants to invite us to step in or rebuke us and say, Stop doing this. It is unhelpful. There is a couple of uh, words in the book of Revelation, though, that I think might speak into our situation. These are kind of general. I think there's probably some more specific things that Jesus would like to say to us that we need to discern together. But some of these general things, I think, hold for most of the churches in our kind of... um, culture and denomination and part of the world to that angel in the church of Ephesus right these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance I know that you can't tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who came to be, claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. So thinking through theology, getting things right, not putting up with error, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Sorry, you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know much about the Nicolaitans. John's churches probably knew who they were. We don't know much about them. Um, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, when things are going well, there's a tendency to kind of drift towards going through the motions. Uh, temptation to think that basically we're all okay. What we need is just to keep doing what we do and then get on with life. 
You see it in the nation of Israel all the time, the great rebuke that the Spirit of God gave to the nation of Israel is you come into this land, you enjoy the good things and you forget your God. Um, It's a temptation for us, particularly in the West. We have so many good things. We are so smart and think we have things sorted out and it's easy just to think, yep, we add our to that and get along with life. And Jesus' invitation is return to your first love. Have the spirit, the trust in me that you had at first. Eat from the tree of life, true life. All of these things are distractions. Find the true life that is only found in me. Return to me. I would love to see us grow in this as a people. I want to grow in this personally to having that red hot spiritual trust in Jesus that is seeking him as first, is responding to him as our first obedience, that isn't getting distracted, but is about seeking the Spirit and responding to him. uh, That is something that in all my kind of intellectualizing of faith, in all my putting things in routines and practices, that is something that I desperately need to do grow in the capacity to do that. Something as a church that we're seeking to grow in our capacity to do. I'll read one more letter. It's the last one. You say I'm rich. You've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious. And sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Again, that invitation from Jesus. Become truly rich. I stand at the door and knock. It's not quite as good as the only stained glass windows, but it's pretty good. Uh, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I'll come in and I will eat with them and they will eat with me. That invitation again to find the life that Jesus, only Jesus brings, to open the door for him, to allow him in. Um, I've spoken about this a little bit, but um, when I became a Christian, the the decision to become a Christian was a decision to open the door for Christ to actually say, Jesus, you come allowed into my life and you get to live in my life and direct it. But one of the things that's happened as I've gone on older, I realize that there's some rooms in my life that I don't let Jesus into. It's like, Jesus, you can come into my life, but not into there. <laughs> not into my finances. Not into the way I treat my kids. Not into my hobbies. Not into space. That that's mine and you don't get to come in. And part of... Growing as a mature follower of Jesus has been learning how to open up those doors so that more and more Jesus' life is reflected in my life. Maybe there's something in that for you. 
Uh, it's great to have people back. I am I'm just going to pray to off this service. Um, I'm going to do announcements in a minute, but one announcement that I'd just like to remind you of is in November, on the uh, 21st, we've got a combined prayer meeting coming up with the ECA, who meets here. It's a Saturday night, it's at 8 o'clock. It was really hard to find a time that would be good to get people together for prayer. But can I encourage you to actually come and be a part of that? Revelation is God wants to speak to his churches. He stands amongst them, he knows what's going on. He stands at the door and knocks. One of the things that we can do is come to him in prayer and seek him. So um, I just wanted to flag that night because... I think that's a really important thing for us to do, an important practice for us to practice. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to Kylie. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that those you love, you rebuke and you call. Lord Jesus, that your aim is to give us true life, uh, that we would eat from your table, that you would come into our lives and eat with us. We pray that as individuals we would do that, but we pray particularly as a church that we would be a people which um, is responsive to you, that is faithfully obedient to your leading. We pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts so that we can be responsive and faithfully follow you. Thank you for the privilege of your word. Thank you that in the midst of history you're at work. Thank you that you're at work right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to faithful obedience and love and help us to not grow weary, we pray. Amen.